0: Hello, and welcome back to The Game Maker's Notebook. I'm Robin Hunnecke, and I'm your host today, talking with Jamie Chang, CEO of Clay Entertainment and all-around fantastic person of opinions. In this podcast, we're going to talk about how Jamie came to start Clay, uh, some of the things that happened along the way, and what's led him to be uh, the CEO of a company where the focus is really on building a really great environment for their teams, as well as building games where they can always do the right thing for the game at the right moment. So really fantastic conversation with Jamie, who is a great person. Can't wait to share it with all of you. Here we are. Have with us, the fantastic Jamie Chang, CEO um, of Clay Entertainment, and I think that um, your pro- your reputation probably precedes you. But why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and uh, how you got into games? Maybe before you were um, the CEO of Clay. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me.
0: You're
1: welcome.
2: Um, always nice to chat with you. Yeah. Um, I think this is actually the first time we've chatted in all, in, in some time um how did i get into games um i mean it's really not super interesting i guess i mean i grew up with games and i uh you know i got uh the first nintendo when i was three and i've been playing since then and um i played so much that i started like sleepwalking about it um and that was that was a that was a funny moment um but uh, yeah, yeah, that was when actually they, uh, my parents decided that I wasn't allowed to play every day anymore. <laughs> it was when I walked into their, when I walked into their, their um, their bedroom in the middle of the night, and I started talking to them about video games. And, <laughs> and I was really frustrated because I was like, "Why, why don't you understand what I'm talking about here?" And then I started waking up in the middle of my sleepwalk. And I was thinking, oh, shit, I'm in trouble now. Mm. <laughs> anyway, I was, um, um, but um, yeah, I uh, I got a co-op at uh, Relic and I was a programmer there. Um, and I was working on uh, Dawn of War and a little bit of Homeworld and that sort of thing. Um, and I was also and making- And that's in
0: Vancouver? Were you in Vancouver at the time? Yeah,
2: I was in Vancouver. Um, well, I grew up in Hong Kong and then I moved to Vancouver in 97. Uh, you know, when the um, ch- the Chinese handover happened.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, literally, you know, it was that summer I saw the handover happen and then I left. That's
0: you know, basically. I was there. I went to China that same year.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, that cool. was my
0: first year, my first time visiting and I backpacked all through China and everywhere you went, there was just Hong Kong returns to the motherland. There were yeah, posters yeah. everywhere, all over the place. It was a huge thing. You couldn't even, it was very difficult to even get a train to go to the city to see it because it was it was such a popular event.
2: Uh, did you go to Hong Kong then? No, At I didn't.
0: Time? I actually okay. I stayed I stayed uh, on the edges and uh, partied with friends out actually in Yangshuo and then uh, and then went back up to Shanghai with a very bad sunburn and flew home. <laughs>
2: oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was in Hong Kong and I remember seeing all the fireworks and everything. And there was a big party and and all of that. Um, I mean, generally it was a party, but you know the the sentiment in Hong Kong was kind of like oh, we don't know what's going to happen right now. Um, and for me. I had already made up my mind that I was going to Canada anyway because my brother had moved to Canada um, five years before me, okay. and I was born in Canada as well. Uh, so you know, it was um, it was it was kind of a thing that I already knew I wanted to do. I wanted to move away and and try something different. Cool. Um, yeah, so I went to high school in, in in Vancouver, and I went to university in Vancouver, and then I got a co op at Relic in Vancouver, um, and then I kind of made a game in my own time um, at home, um, you know, and the nights and stuff as they do, as you do. Um, and then, uh, I was showing it around and, uh, some people were like, Hey, this is, this is quite good. So, um, I figured, you know, if I was going to start a company, um, why not just try it? Uh, and you know, what could be the (laughs) worst thing that could happen? I would just, you know, I would fail and then go back to work somewhere else. Yeah. And then, well, yeah. And then 15 years later, here I am. Um, so,
0: really, you're just like, you were just like, this. I mean, it's funny because, you know, some people sort of go through these periods of agony about should I leave my job? Should I do this? Should I do that? And you're just like, you just make a decision and you go for it. It sounds like you decided to move back to Vancouver. You decided to make your own game in your spare time. And then you decided to start a company. It's just like, <laughs> it, I'm going to call you the bit, decider for the rest yeah, of you. Yeah, that's future. right.
2: It sounds a bit more, well, it was, pro, it was a bit more agonizing than that. Um, I mean we uh, the, I knew I wanted to start something, and the question was when? and what happened was I was also thinking of going to uh, Shanghai to work at Ubisoft. That's really what was going on and then those were kind of the choices I had, and uh, I did an interview in Ubisoft, Shanghai, um, and they um, they they made me an offer. actually, they made me a really, really bad offer is what happened. <laughs> Um, <laughs>
0: was it insultingly bad or just yeah, like, yeah, kind of like bad?
2: Yeah, it was like it was like worse than the, the 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 job I already had. Um and uh um I was somewhat underpaid at Relic. It's it's really not a diss to Relic frankly. Um you know. Uh but I uh I uh, I got that offer and I was like, "No, this this is ridiculous." And uh the next day they came back and they doubled it. It was wow. literally double of what it was. Um and for me, I thought that was quite distasteful. You know, it was kind of like, well, you just <laughs>
0: to lowball you, you, and then come back and say, actually, we really like you.
2: Yeah, exactly. They were just trying to get me at the lowest price they could get. You know, and when they realized that they couldn't, then this is what happens. And, um, and so, you know, that was kind of distasteful. But really, what what happened was I was talking to, um, uh, I was talking to, to Alex Garden, who you know, of course, and uh, he was um, he had left Relic by then, and. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, you're in the middle of a project and you can really only leave the middle of a project like once before you start getting a reputation for it. Yeah. Okay. And I thought that made sense. Um, so I decided just to stick it out. I decided to stick out the um, at Relic. Yeah. And, and ship the game. And ship the game. Um, but I remember, you know, saying to him, hey, you know, I think I'm underpaid. And uh, and they said, um, "Well, thanks for staying." Basically, that's basically what they said. And, <laughs> and they did not <laughs> did not give me a raise or anything. Um, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that that's interesting." Uh, so I stuck around. Um, and near the time that they were supposed to ship, they extended the the project nine months.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, that's it- always the gut the the guts the gut killing move when you've been working really hard on something and then. And then you see that the horizon is just stretched out. And the yeah, it's moved. stretched
2: out. And it wasn't yeah. like, it, it didn't feel super bad for me. It, besides that, I was like, well, I, I'm i just not going to stick around for another nine months. And this is really not on me anymore. You know, my conscience is clear. Yeah, I did. I, I, did
0: I did my bit. I did my time.
2: Yeah, I I, I said I would stay until this time. And yeah. now you've extended it. And now you have time to replace me as well. Yeah. Uh, you have nine months. So it's, it's plenty of time to figure something out. Um, so that's when, um, I took, I took the leave and I decided I would just try this, this company. And, and frankly, like all of those things were the best things that could have happened to me. Um, because you know, I'm, I'm happily married and I probably wouldn't be married to this, this person if I had moved to to Shanghai.
0: Yeah. You never uh, know, right. You never know these things.
2: Right. Well, you know, we were dating at the time and I remember having this conversation of like, you know, how is this, is this, um, a distance relationship going to work and all that. And that just would have been really, really difficult. It would have been super, super difficult. Um, So instead, you know, we started a company um, and me and a friend started it. Um, uh, Two friends, actually, me and two friends started it. And we just kind of jammed it out and grinded grinded our way through for many, many years.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you started the company, but how long was it before you released Shank, which was your, you know, sort of your you know, sort of first big game, I guess, really.
2: Well, uh, well Eats was our first game. Uh, I guess that's true.
0: Eats was first. I remember I remember talking to you about Eats when you were first working on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, did I talk to you about it, like, on that GDC that we all went to as students? I think um, so,
0: probably, yeah.
2: Yeah, so that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so Eats was our first game, and we launched it, and we had a little bit of government funding, and that kind of tied me by and whatever savings I had. Uh, from from working at um, at Relic and the sales to THQ. You know, I had like $10,000. Um, and then I, in the middle of that, I had to buy out my business partner. Um, man, oh, wow. I mean, the stories, like all of these stories could take an hour each one. So... <laughs> Well I mean, to, like it's it's, it's important to,
0: it's okay sometimes we go along but I think it's important to point out that like you decided to do this but then it wasn't just like it happened right like there's there's stuff so you had some drama at the beginning you didn't have a lot that's, of money yes. you're working on a student game and it was taking yes. probably longer than you expected right
2: o- Always always yeah. well actually the the hilarious one is we uh, I started before the company started I tried to make an MMO that's that's you know that's your rite of passage you have to try to do an MMO <laughs> and then realize that Oh my God, obviously I can't do this. And then, and then scale way back down. So then it was from MMO to little puzzle game. That's basically, you know, how far, how far the <laughs> pendulum is going. So and, you learned uh, a little
0: bit about biting off too much. And then like you yep. sort of right-sized your eyes and then you went through some, some changes in the company itself, which is also very common. Like people <laughs> say they want to do it, but they don't really want to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So my business partner, who's awesome, um, he, he, he decided the risk was just too high for him and fair enough because the risk was very high. Uh, he had, he had, uh, you know, a job offers other places and we went trekking around, um, uh, California trying to get a deal for eats. And, uh, you know, we, we basically got the, Oh, this is quite interesting. We'll get back to you thing.
0: Yeah. The (laughs) the positive, but not a yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not even positive when they say it's interesting. You know what I mean? Um, It's very brave of you, uh, and uh, um, uh, yeah. After that summer, he's like, "I'm out. This is this is. I don't think this is going to work." Um, mm. And so, uh, I needed to buy him out because he had fifty percent of the shares in the company, yeah. uh, and he had put money into the company. And he's like, "I want to keep some of my shares." And I'm like, "I don't want you to keep some of your shares because I have to do all the work now if you're leaving." Yeah. And we barely started, so. I borrowed some money from my brother, bought him um, out. out and uh, and then continued government funding. And then we were one of the first games to launch on uh, Xbox uh, Live Arcade yeah. on the 360. So Eats Chowdown launched on Xbox 360. Oh, we In between that, we also did some physical deals. Like we basically just got money from, I think one of the big learnings is money comes from really weird places. Like you <laughs> yeah. just never know where the money is going to come from. Yeah, um, and and this is like really true across the entire history. But you know, we 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 did this retail deal with a uh, French company, and uh, they gave us like twenty thousand euros, um, which was a huge sum of money for me. Yeah. Um, and then and then later on, they signed for another thirty thousand euros or something, and wow. it was just crazy, right? Because because they they were expanding into other territories and they wanted eats they into want retail content. in those territories. Yeah. Um, and I got a royalty report back, and we sold, man, we sold tens of units. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, you know, that saved saved our butts too. Um, and then, and then after each chow down, uh, we, um, we got a publishing deal with with Nexon, um, and we worked with Nexon for like three years two and a half two and yeah. a half three years um and so all of that happened and and by the way that that project got cancelled uh the two and a half year project that got canceled um in beta like just before we were going to Ouch. launch That's uh, so it, uh, it got canceled and it, it didn't get canceled because the game wasn't good what what why the game got canceled is because the entire um, Vancouver publishing arm shut down. That's really what happened.
0: Yeah, one of those one of those big industry shifts that like you can't really see coming, and then when it happens, it's just like, well, that's that. You just yeah, I it. mean,
2: it's like you know, uh, it's like if you were published by THQ just before they shut down. It's basically that that was kind of the way it was, um, and uh, it was it was particularly annoying because we own the IP to it. And we still own the IP to it, and we have the game source code. But the back end of it was all built on Nexon's technology.
0: Oh, that's terrible. Mm
2: -hmm. And And that's that's, that's
0: a big setback for a company that's released a small game and then getting by on sort of some publishing deals to suddenly have their publisher pull out. Like, did you think about quitting at that time? Or were you just, I mean, I I know you personally, so I imagine that that just made you dig in even deeper. But what was that like?
2: It was... um, It was just a really surreal experience um, because I remember we were subletting from that space and uh, there was a hundred other people around us and they all got laid off and there was just us left and we were like, you know, uh, 15 people or whatever. Um, And so uh, they left the office and we still had that office.
0: You're just in this um, big empty office.
2: And we were just in this really giant big empty office and we didn't have to pay rent for a while because they had already, well, they just left. Yeah. And the landlord they just wasn't, bailed. Yeah. They just bailed. And, and, and from what I understand is they literally just left. They just like, uh, uh, did not pay the lease. Um, and I, uh, we were like 12 people cause we had to lay some people off, uh, which was, that was the first time that happened for us. And that was really painful. Um, and uh, we were 12 people to 10,000 square feet um, wow. of space or more. Wow. It, was, it was two floors full of space, and it was just like 12 people. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, did I think about quitting? I mean, no, we had saved up quite a lot. Um, you know, we, we saved up about um, 10, 11 months worth of cash.
0: So you were, you were conservative the whole time, basically.
2: You were, so, you
0: were, you were, keeping, you were keeping your money close.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, we we bas- they basically paid us uh, monthly um to our burn rate plus uh plus 20% or whatever, you know, and uh we kept every penny. We just yeah. we just shovelled away every penny. Um and and it worked because um even before the whole thing shut down, I just had this feeling like this might not work out. Like this this other place they're not producing very much, so I'm 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 kind of like, what's going to happen here? I don't know. Um,
0: that's a that's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people that do succeed in business have sort of a sixth sense around these things, but it's a very hard thing to describe. Was it that you noticed people around you weren't weren't working hard, or was it that it just there was a vibe in the office that that it that it seemed like aimless? Like when you look back, can you mm-hmm. can you get a sense of where that? That feeling came I,
2: from. I, I think um, one one is simply just always looking at the worst case scenarios. Um, you know, I'm I'm constantly looking at risk. Like today, I'm still looking at the risks, uh, the risk exposure that we have. Even though we have quite a lot of success, I'm still looking at our risk exposure. And so, I just didn't feel comfortable getting so tied to a single company. I just felt like you know, yeah. uh, I might as well be an employee if I'm this tied. Um, And the other part is that, you know, they had been running the studio with 100 people and three different projects, four different projects for, um, you know, three years now or so. And we were by far the furthest along for all the games. Um, It wasn't even close. The other games (laughs) were not close to shipping. Uh, And so, uh, you know, that just doesn't bode well if you're not shipping, you know? So I think that's, it's just kind of obvious if you, If you look at it, that something has to give.
0: And I think that like, I just from the conversations that we've had over the years, I think that's something that is really a mark of you is that you are always evaluating risk. And mm -hmm. so you, you got to this place where you had saved up the money and you were ready to do something. Did you just rally the team around an idea? Like how did you take that next step? Mm -hmm.
2: So um, about three months before um, the uh, shit hit the fan, uh we were starting to look at another game idea because uh you know that that sixth sense was kicking in we need to be able to do other things as well that sort of thing um and so jeff and i were just jamming jamming on some ideas and we kind of thought about doing uh kind of a desperado style thing um and he we he and i mocked it up over a weekend in in flash um, and then we brought it to the office, um, and, and kind of secretly had someone else because like Nexon, our publisher was right on top of us. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. quite difficult, right? Not private. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was clear, it was clear that they did not want us to work on anything but their stuff, which, you know, in hindsight, I should have pushed pretty hard back on, but whatever. Yeah.
1: You're it's you're cool. Gone.
2: Yeah. And so we had, you know, we had was one person secretly working on this secret project, you know? Um. And uh, you know, it was starting to come along. Something was was coming together for it. Uh, and so when when everything went down, and frankly, it was um, you know, they were very gracious. Uh, they they paid us the the exit, and they they um, made sure we kept the IP. And
0: yeah, not all everybody of that. is is great, but when they are great, it's really nice. It's especially nice when you get the IP back, and they don't leave you hang, holding the the bag of bills. That's that's great. Yes,
2: yes, exactly. Um, so um yeah they when everything shut down it was very clear now we have to do this game this is the game we must do now so everybody was working on that one game and so we had about three months uh or actually two and a half months to get it all sorted out before gdc um and so we made a demo and off to gdc we go to to pitch this game (laughs) yeah and that was that was shank
0: when you, when you think about it now, like, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, just the two of us, but like at that time you were saying, you say you're about 12 people. Mm-hmm. Um, would you imagine that you would be, you know the scale that you are now and the, and the size that you are now, did you, did you, did you think like, okay, mm. Shank will do well. And then we'll turn into a multi-team business with, you know, no. with this massive no. you know, burn rate, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, and if you had, I guess, would you, would you, do you think you would have had the courage to just keep making those decisions to move forward? I mean, it's like, it's such a, you're such a different company now, right? Like,
2: it is, it is totally different. And, and really how that, worked is that uh we were on the publisher treadmill for so many years especially after Nexon like Nexon was actually a really good publisher to us um uh in in that they were you know they paid on time and they weren't pressuring me to do crazy st- well anyway as many crazy <laughs> stuff and and um uh y- you know they weren't threatening to cancel our game every other month you know what i mean yeah. That sort of thing. And uh, uh, so w- once we really got on that publisher treadmill, um, it was just it was just so grinding. it was so exhausting. Um, and some of the shenanigans that that we ended up going through where we were doing things that were just obviously bad for the players, um, but it was due to you know how this how the setup was, you know, how the relationship was. Um, yeah, you know, or if and, you have
0: to support features that you know are not going to make the game better, but it's because a certain launch has certain features associated with it. Like I've definitely, yeah, you've seen yeah. those. You've seen those tacked on, you know, uh, six off controller features for yeah. PlayStation Three, for example. And you go, oh boy, that was this is not making this game better. It's definitely making it worse. Those are always very painful.
2: It is. It is. And you know, I've had times where you know we we had to ship a game on a certain quarter because you know that's what their finances said they must do um and i knew that if i just had three more months the game would sell twice as well literally twice as well or more you know because these are hit driven games right it's a it's a it's a hockey stick and so if you can just go up that curve it's going to sell incredibly more um but you're just forced to ship it so that's just what happened um And for us, that was just so gut, I mean, it's still gut wrenching for me today, looking at games, which I wish I could have done more with, Yeah, you know, I wish I had the time to do better with, um, and, and then having to go on back on the, uh, the circuit to go pitch more games. I mean, it was, it was just unsustainable for me and Jeff. We were just like, we don't want to do that anymore. Um, or rather we don't, we weren't sure how long we could last before we would just not do it anymore. Um. And so, right,
0: so it was it was this idea that uh, needing the freedom to basically be able to make the game that you knew would do well was what drove the next phase of the company then.
2: I think it was just being able to do what's right 100% of the time. Yeah. And do what's right for players and for ourselves. Um, and, uh, you know, Jeff and I had this discussion. I, I remember very clearly um, I was... Showing him the cash flow because I do my own cash flow and I've been doing it ever since the beginning. And I, I you know, I have like a two-year cash flow. And I was showing him the different scenarios for our cash flow and how things are going and when we're going to need to pitch and stuff. And he just he looked at me, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, "Are we going to be okay?" And I looked back at him and I'm like, "We should probably have this conversation somewhere else because we're in the office." And so yeah. he and I walked over to my home to To have a chat because I, I used to live like two blocks from the office, um, and uh, and we walked to my home and we just started talking about you know what kind of company that we actually wanted to, to run what kind of company that could, uh, take care of people like one of the, the the main motivations is that we wanted to make sure that our employees would, uh, would have a good time, and uh, that they could use their creativity to its fullest and that, you know, they would be well taken care of and they wouldn't worry about losing their jobs and all of these things. And, uh, we just couldn't guarantee that in this environment, Uh, we're just, we don't, we just don't control all the things. And so we started coming up with a plan where, uh, that could happen. And it was this multi, multi multi-step plan where we would, uh, Lean toward making royalties again instead of getting advances, um, and the first step for that was uh, to make sure that we had multiple publishers so that uh, you know there wasn't just one point of failure. Um,
0: yeah. And then just also distributing the risk.
2: <laughs> exactly distributing the risk, which you know all about, you know, and uh, and then also um, starting to sign deals where we would get backend instead of getting this huge advance that yeah. we would never recoup. We, yeah. we knew that we could not recoup, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and what really drove it is that we knew that all of the games that we shipped, they all made money for the publisher, but not for us. <laughs> yeah. So we <so> were like, <laughs> well, I mean, they made money for us in the sense that our advance covered everything and more, but we yeah. didn't get royalties from them, right? Or yeah. we didn't get good royalties. Yeah. Uh, so if Shank was a game that we shipped ourselves, it would have funded our next game yeah. uh, easily. And so yeah. we, we looked at it and we're like, well, we need to do that. We just need to do that and then everything will be okay. Yeah. Um, and so we started we started looking for deals like that. And, and that was our, 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 our focus from then on.
0: Well, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't realize when they first sign a game deal. Like definitely when, I mean, when, when, when you were first starting out, I was just at TGC. And they mm-hmm. had signed, you know, they had signed this three-game deal that had no, yep. you know, really very little back end in it. Um, yep. and it was going to be one of those things where if they did a game like Journey, it would generate revenue, but it would never generate the revenue that it would have if they had made it on their own. And yet mm-hmm. at the same time, um, it's very difficult to save up five million dollars when you're three kids from college. <laughs> you yep. know, it's like it's yep. not that easy to just to fund your own game. And so I think that, you know, a lot of us that have been in it for a while you start off on the treadmill and then you start getting better deals and you learn how to ask for more things. Um, did, who did you, who helped you figure that out? Do you just naturally ask for what you want? Are you just, <laughs> are you just a naturally asky person or are you the kind of person that had men mentorship in, in that, in that aspect of the business? Because I think that's something that it doesn't come naturally to most people. It certainly didn't come naturally to me at the beginning. So how did you get that way?
2: Um, how did I get that way? Uh, I think it was just more logical of you know it doesn't make sense if I don't get these things. it just doesn't work for me in the long term um, so i'm I'm a very logical thinker in, in that way. Uh, but also uh, my mentors are everyone you know uh, you know that I, I have I'm pretty opinionated um,
0: <laughs> yes
2: and and uh, I get that way because, I want, to, I want to learn. And so I, I talk about my opinions so that other people can correct me. <laughs> That's what I want. I want people to correct me. And, and I talk pretty forcefully so that people can really understand what it is that I'm talking about. You know, if I, if I just kind of like soft say it, then most of the time people just kind of let it go. Um, but if I can just get people to talk to me about their real feelings and, and really talk through it, then I can get more information and, and people who who have known me for a while uh, know that I do change my mind. And that's, that's the, the whole point. The whole point yeah. is to, you know, have that dialogue so that I can get more information and then to make be the best decision. Yeah, yeah. And then make the best decision based on, on, on the feedback that I've gotten. So, you know, the mentors are everywhere and, you know, we've had two agents uh, before and they've helped uh, quite a lot, but also just other people, tons of other people who have run businesses or, uh, you know, or just in other industries everywhere. I, I You know, I'm just constantly trying to get, get information.
1: This episode is sponsored by Parsec for Teams, the only remote desktop fine-tuned for game development. Parsec's silky-smooth UHD video and precise controls lets game makers build and test games from anywhere seamlessly using programs like Unity, Unreal, or Maya. Collaborating is simple. Share a link and you're working on the same screen at the same time. It's the closest thing to being in the studio together. Join the hundreds of studios already using Parsec for Teams. Sign up at parsecgaming.com forward slash teams. Plans start at $30 per month.
0: You know it's interesting because you're a developer, I mean you started out like me in AI and then you moved mm-hmm. into design and then into mm-hmm. running the business and it seems like the logical part of your brain that really did enable you to have these these kinds of early jobs and to and to and to be in the position you were to start the company then later has has sort of become a sort of part of your min-maxing strategy for the company itself and I think you know one of the things that we've talked about as well is this idea of sort of the balance between building a successful business and a place that people want to work at mm-hmm. and the and and the goal of of maintaining some integrity with respect to how you engage with the products and the publishers themselves like um you you moved from a situation where you were on the publisher treadmill into a situation where you were publishing your own, own stuff and then you you got really excited and interested in tracking sales right and numbers and like there was a period where that was all you talked about right like you were so (laughs) you were so into the idea of like what's selling on steam and why does it sell and like i think what i remember the most from that period of of the company and you is is that is that opinion uh sort of generation discussion of like why do games sell why don't they sell and like what should we be doing What, what what were you doing in that middle phase where you were coming up with games like don't starve what were you seeing in the landscape
2: I, you know, I remember it very differently. Um, I'm sure you're correct, by the way. Uh, and, and you know, I, I'm pretty, when I'm, when I'm trying to learn a subject, I'm pretty fanatic about it. And I'm really trying to dig in as deep as I can go. You know, so, you know, for a while, I was really trying to learn free to play. And so I learned all the three-letter acronyms and the six-letter acronyms and all of them. And um, uh, so I, I definitely know what you're talking about. But the weird thing about Don't Starve is that it's a game that um, really shouldn't have worked. Um, you know, it was it was funded. Um, it, it was it was a, a Chrome Web Store game uh, when it when it when it launched, and so we had like this chance to do a really cool game that we were it was very experimental. and We weren't sure what it was going to do, and yeah. really, I just had you know one one mandate. And the one mandate was we must do a free-to-play game because I really wanted to learn about free-to-play and really understand it. So, you know, that's the thing I asked them to do is, hey, you guys can make this game that you want, but it has to be free-to-play. And so off they went and, you know, the team made this game and, you know, I was obviously somewhat involved, but really the credit goes to them. And, uh, And then I took a look at it and I was like, this is, this is never going to work as a free-to-play game this is just not and we we launched it free to just to double check the numbers and indeed when i looked at the numbers i was like yeah this is never going to work the math doesn't work out you you know it's not going to work out so we we made it paid yeah. um and um you know how many years has it been now uh eight years <laughs> later it's still paid and it's still doing really well um In fact, this year is our best year for Don't Starve. And um, yeah, I don't know. The credit goes to them. Uh, And I I don't think that my research on what works on Steam had any bearing on why Don't Starve (laughs) succeeded. So <laughs> there you go.
0: It's, it's well. It's interesting because you really were. You were looking at. I think. I think at that time, what, what I recall is that there were a lot of people saying indie games are dead and they're never going to mm-hmm. succeed, and paid mm-hmm. games don't work, and everything has to be free to play. And yep. you were really in that space and that headspace. And so, yep. so what, what? But what's interesting is that yeah, even though it didn't go exactly as you planned, it didn't go poorly, and you were able to leverage that into continued continued research, I guess I would say. So like, I think one of the Mm -hmm. things that's true about your, your, your company, and I think the way you've been running it is that you do think about things as exploration and research as well as development. And so talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about Grifflands and what, and what that was like for this new title that'll, that'll, that is going to be taking the world by storm, I should say.
2: Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, Grifflands has been a crazy journey. Um, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's a, this, a lot of the same team that worked on Don't Starve ended up working on Grifflands. Uh And there's also other people as well, of course. Uh, but uh, it had a long journey. It was supposed to be this procedural RPG. And I still think that idea can really work, by the way, this procedural RPG. I think it could really work. I'll build um, it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? No, yeah. It's, it sounds awesome. It really does sound awesome. Um, but we weren't able to get it to work. That's what I would say. And the 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 world is amazing, the art is just off the charts. Um, but when we played the game, you know, the idea was there, the theory was there, but it just didn't. It wasn't interesting. It was. It just wasn't interesting to play. Uh, it was just a bunch of systems that didn't really come together. Um, and we have a lot of learnings about it of what went right, what went wrong. And you know, the funny thing about postmortems is that it's just whatever everyone thought at that moment i don't know like i think that if you took any game that was successful and then told them that it was a big failure most people would be like oh of course it was a failure because of these reasons
0: <laughs> yeah you can you know? always find reasons to yeah to dig on something that didn't work or to say yeah. why it wouldn't have worked yeah
2: that's right and so i think people are very poor judges of why something didn't work out um or why something did work out frankly uh and me included uh and so anyway, uh, the, the game wasn't working out uh, and it had been like, I don't know, two and a half years or something like that of development. And we even announced it and we even showed it um, at PAX thinking like it was about to work out. You know, it was one of those times where we thought, hey, we're almost there. It really feels like, we're, we're, you know, just around the corner, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come together together. And it just didn't. (laughs) So, you know, we showed it, and people were excited, and they were excited because, you know, uh, you know, we had built a we had built a name, and people were excited about the stuff we were doing, and also it looked amazing. The game just really looked amazing, Um, and it wasn't working out. So finally, you know, uh, I was working with a team, and we're trying to figure out well, what is it about this game? And this is kind of the process that ends up happening a lot when if if it doesn't work out is. You know, trying to dig into what is it about this game that you really care about. Like, what is it that you want people to feel when you're playing this game? And uh, and it's never really clear until the game starts to work. But a good example is, you know, for for Invisible Ink, it was about feeling like being a spy. You really wanted to feel like a spy, not like James Bond, because James Bond isn't really a spy. He comes in and just trashes everything. Um. You know, he just kills everybody, like Jason Bourne. He just comes yeah, in and kills yeah. everybody, right? But, um, you know, have you have you watched Sneakers? Do you remember Robert Redford's Oh, yeah,
0: <laughs> sure, sure, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So in that one, you know, what happens is they come up with this plan. It's more like Ocean's Eleven, right? They, they come up with this plan, and they go in, and they're executing this plan, and they're just so smart, and that's why they can do it. But then something always goes wrong, and now you have to improvise, and if you do one wrong move, you're dead, right? That's the idea. And that's the kind of game that we wanted Invisible Ink to feel like. Yeah. So we wanted to be on the razor's edge and you win because you're smarter than the other person. And yeah. because, you know, you 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 were able to uh, take the information that you had and and do something really interesting with it um, and, and improvise. Improvise was a really big uh, uh, part of that game. Um, and uh, and that's when Invisible Ink turned into the game it was and it really f- had a focus. And for, for Grifflands, you know, the RPG part of it was important for us um but it wasn't working so i was really asking like what is it that you really want to keep and for for them it was relationships they really wanted to to keep the world and relationships and and interesting decisions around the world and and around the relationships and i'm like well you don't need you could distill that way down if you wanted and yeah, that's a story really exactly but we wanted to be um somewhat generative as well. So that the next time you played, you had different relationships. And, and so it was, again, it was still a generative story, right? Um, and uh, and so the first part that, you know, we were playing around with is uh, negotiation. And you you could try to convince someone that they should let you in the door or whatever the heck it is, uh, you know? And uh, it used to be this uh, this um, spinning uh, progress thing, like a basically a roll of a die. It felt like a roll of a die. It felt like a saving throw. Like if you could uh, do the saving throw, then you convince them. If you didn't, then you didn't convince them. And depending on traits and whatever, you could increase your chances or decrease your chances. But it felt super flat and obviously no agency. Like it didn't really feel like you were negotiating at all. It just felt like, well, I guess I'll try. Yeah, it was
0: like RNG. You were just trying to get up against the system.
2: Yeah, so it was RNG. And yes, you could, the meta of it was to affect the RNG. And what we started realizing is that the meta part was what we were having problems with and we weren't able to get the meta to be interesting. So of course the moment to moment wasn't interesting because the moment to moment kind of relied on the meta being interesting in that system. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah, it totally does, yeah. So what we ended up doing is saying, why don't we make the negotiation interesting? So I quickly mocked this thing up where we did this dominion style thing where uh you had three you had one action per turn um and you had three options out of and you could pick one um and uh um based on what cards you got you you could start to choose what you wanted to do it like in dominion style um and people um it wasn't a card it was actually just three dialogue options you know it was just playing around with that and um and immediately people were like, wow, this is really interesting, this is way more fun. And uh, I was like, okay, that's good. And they said, but it's a little bit simplistic, could you make it more complicated? And like, could you make it more interesting, like more choices? And I was like, well, but then we actually have a card game. Do you yeah. want a card game? Because this is not a card game. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and they said, well, I think that that's way better than what we have. Why don't we try it? So. Yeah. I started making that, and th- then we had a card game for a negotiation. And you know we started doing this uh, tug of war thing. It was really cool. Um, and, and people really liked it. But the combat was something totally different. It was like this really JRPG style kind of combat. And, um, and it was a totally different system that we had to teach people about. It was like this timeline, and you had to think about where the timeline was and everything. It was quite complicated, but cool. And, uh, and I pointed out to them that we have to teach people two games. Yeah, which is always
0: difficult. Yeah,
2: it's not great, right? Because uh, you're going to capture some people. Some people are going to like this game, and some people are going to like both the other game. It's not that you're going to capture both crowds. You're going to actually capture just the the intersection of them. You know, does that make sense? The Venn diagram intersection, not absolutely,
0: yeah, right. Yeah,
2: it's it's an and function, not an or function on that. And uh, and so I was like, hey, I think we just need to make this also the card game, but now just to be clear, if if we do that, then we just have a card game. That's that's our game now. <laughs> it's just a card game now. It's
0: not an RPG anymore, it really. Is, it's not an open is, world game. It's it not, is this,
2: not
1: an RPG. Yeah, right. There's
0: no, no classes. It's just it's just None a card game stuff. where you do the negotiation and the and the and moving around in the world with this this system.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and we bit the bullet, and uh, I uh, you know I think it's it's an awesome it's awesome a card game, and I love card games, so I have no. No problems with it. Um, really, I, I quite love the, the the direction that it ended up in. Uh, but it was just a really funny path that we we got there. Um, and people are really loving it. Like it's on it's on epic right now. And and our retention is through the roof. That's great. Uh, there's there's my data again. Um, <laughs> actually, our, um, our my colleagues laugh at me because I, I talk about the, the retention number quite a lot because. You know, it just it's just it's the number that's easy to to grasp for people to understand that, hey, people are still playing your game. And yeah. so yeah.
0: I also love card games and I and I think that um one of the things about cards that I love is that they are a great metaphor. Like they're universal and they're language free for the most part, like it depending mm-hmm. on how you design mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um and I spent a lot of time playing magic and thinking about card games and just as recently have been playing um Legends of Runeterra a little bit and looking mm. through those systems and thinking about these 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 kinds of games and I think one of the one of the interesting things about about being a fan of a genre is is the benefit that comes from that and then also the the difficulty of having to sort of see it a different way. I know yep. that you really like complex deep card games and mm-hmm. you've you've played quite a bit of them. Did when you decided to make this little prototype, were you thinking of it in the same way or were you just just trying mm-hmm. to solve the smallest problem right I was
2: then? A- I was actively trying to make it simple. <laughs> um and, and failed miserably at the end, I suppose. Um well I didn't well, I was trying to make it simple. So that's why I chose Dominion as my my, my base point, because Dominion is so easy to play. You have one action a turn. Yeah. You know, there's only really one thing you need to do a turn and then if you can chain it then awesome good for you uh, but generally it's like you have one one thing you can do and it's really easy to to do
0: which is also um, a soft loss condition it makes the game more casual because if you don't win if you got screwed by the deal you know you you can mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. sort of push off some of that onto the game itself and doesn't feel yep. so bad
2: yeah except that you know Grilin is not at all easy to play frankly uh, and it ended up being Far more complex, and um, and we're good at that, frankly. Like our games yeah. are complex, so you know, Arson Not Included is about the most complex game. You know, it's just it's just incredibly complex, and, and um, so we leaned on our strength afterward. Once yeah. we really figured out what we wanted to do, we just leaned on leaned into it, and uh, yeah, that's what we got.
0: So then, the other thing that you've been doing is, I mean, you've been you've been exploring the the sort of free to play space a little bit more with premium designs but then you know putting stuff out on arcade like hot lava now that you've sort of been in the space for a while and that you've been making these complex games with like sort of um, retention mechanics that are focused on on uh, on engaging people in more deep systems like Mm -hmm. what do you what do you think about the situation that we're in now where everyone suddenly has all this free time do you think that games with Games with more complex systems or games that are a little bit more difficult will, will have a resurgence suddenly because people need to mm. occupy their brains a little bit more?
2: Well, um, I have a, a bunch of thoughts around that. One is that we don't really design retention mechanics. Um, that's not how I think about it. I, I think that I want the game to be deep enough that people have a lot to explore. And we tend to design for um, deep play and then come back the other way to try to teach other people how how to get there instead of you know uh you know moving forward in that direction of yeah like, instead of starting
0: from casual and moving in the other direction which is what we exactly do. Yeah.
2: exactly so we, we go really deep and then we we kind of pull back and i think that that's why our games have retention we we typically don't have a lot of retention like uh classic retention mechanics so we 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 tend to feel like it's uh, they're going to play our game anyway because it's, um, you know, it's it's deep enough. And I also, the other part is I think that generally um, gamers are way smarter than game designers give them credit for. Um, and uh, they can take it. It's okay that it's complicated. <laughs> I mean, I just look at uh, Dwarf Fortress, the Factorio, RimWorld, yeah. um, you know, Kerbal Space Programme you know on and on like these games are really complex and people get over it uh and um and you know if you actually look at what um, what people do you'll see that they complain but then they get over it and and i think that as designers <laughs> as designers we uh, uh, we often get feedback about the first hour of experience yeah uh 30 times more than the rest of the game Absolutely. because we're- yeah. you know we're giving to our friends we're giving to other people and the feedback comes you know from those people not from the people who have played it for 100 hours um so uh you know i i take those that feedback with a big grain of salt um and i also watch especially for those people whether they continue to play it anyway so i would hear i would hear a lot of this which is the best i think is the best whenever i hear this i'm like yes it's working is um you know your game—it's—it's it's really hard to get into. But I've played like I play quite a lot of it now. But let me give you some feedback because I think other people won't be able to get over that hump. <laughs> yeah,
0: the idea that everybody else is—is—is—is is, is, is quite is less is is somehow less engaged or dumb.
2: And and you know when I hear that I'm like great that's awesome it's working and I, I probably don't need to do anything.
0: You know it's funny because we you know through our careers Martin and I have both worked really hard to do the opposite which is to build small experiences that really broaden the total reach of a game or mm-hmm. genre to the to an audience so to to de- de-risk it for uh, experience uh, anxiety for uh, a broad group of people, which right. g- generally tends to make things more family friendly, more kid friendly, um, gen- you know, generally, you know, the the one button games, the sort of, you know, the idea of building a walking simulator, stuff like that, and so, the, you know, the idea of starting with something deep and then moving out is always about um, starting with the feeling and then moving out from that feeling to the simplest way to get to it, and so it's a really mm-hmm. interesting contrast when you when you think about us now. Um, sort of sitting around in our houses playing lots of games um and 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 having the time to to do more um do you think that it'll broaden the market for these kinds of deeper deeper games like do you think that more people will will want to try them
2: um i think they have um but you know i'm no expert and really i don't i don't feel like i have a a good sense of, of what's happening. But, you know, one, one thing that I know is uh, if you look on, 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 steam and I am tracking it still, you know, a uh, tabletop simulator is <laughs>
0: yeah, it's doing is great. Selling
2: like crazy. Right. But yeah. if you ever used it, you're like, Oh my God, this thing. It's, it's bad. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not great. I mean, it's the best there is, you know?
0: Yeah. Best in, um, best in class games, game systems and game sharing <laughs> systems are definitely, they're definitely in, in uh in poor supply,
2: right? Um, and, and people get over it because it does the thing that they want to do, and they get to play with their friends. Uh, what I do see is that co-op games have um, have skyrocketed. Like everyone is looking for games to play with their, fr- they're trying to connect yeah. with their friends. Everyone yeah. wants to connect with their friends, however that may be. And I think that co-op is just, uh, and I, I, you know, I think that Don't Starve is it has really benefited from that Don't Starve Together because it's a pretty. Um, this is a funny thing to say, but it's actually a pretty chill game to play with your friends yeah. if you know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, before you know what you're doing, it's like Lord of the <laughs> Flies. You know, it's like, I'm going a, to a eat you, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, but once you do know, you know, you're just exploring the world and chilling out and building your farm and stuff like that. And I think it's really, uh, it's really benefited from that. Um, and, you know, there's some survivorship guilt around that, but you know.
0: Yeah, you know what happens. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you think, um, like you've been doing this for a while. Um, how many people are you right now?
2: Uh, we're about a hundred. hundred. So is, yeah,
0: you're, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty big. You, pretty big. you, you've, um, you've got multiple teams going. You're, you're working yeah. on different things. Some, some people are working on maintaining stuff. Some people are working on designing it. What mm. do you see in the next couple of years for you? Do you want to just stay where you are? Are you, are you, Are you in a situation where you're looking to make the best of a crisis? Like, you know, is there, do you have, do you have some, some, some big plans? Are you just, are you just happy to be in a place where you can be releasing games and watching them grow and supporting your audience?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've tried really hard to make a place where people can be creative and that, that, that includes me. And the thing that I've focused on a lot is how can there be a place that uh, Jeff and I can both uh, feel creative and not just be running a business. Yeah. Um, so it, it makes a big difference for us that we're working on the games, and so it's going to be difficult if we keep growing. And I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work. How how that would work if we we kept growing, and I don't have a clear answer uh, for you whether or not we will grow or not. Uh, I certainly have. Um, you know, I, I'm certainly thinking hard about that. Is is what I would say. Um, and. We just want a place where people can create great stuff and not worry about uh, their future, and not yeah. worry about getting laid off, not worried about, you know, all the things that are happening and and um, and just be with their friends and, and stuff like that. So that's been our goal for a very long time now. Um, it actually wasn't my goal when I started the company because I wasn't really sure what I wanted when I started the company. Yeah. And it kind of grew into this. Um, so yeah, I don't ever have a clear answer right now besides that, hey, you know, things are going really well and I don't, I don't, I don't mind where things are. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, there's actually a lot of benefit to, I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, feel like they have to do the next thing. Like there has, there has to be a next big thing. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in settling to, in settling and just being like, this is good.
0: Yeah. This is good enough.
2: Yeah, indeed.
0: So when you look back at, at this, the time when you were, say, 12 people in this giant office and you were sort of like, oh, the, the treadmills looms in front of us yep. compared to now, what's the, concrete, the most concrete difference for you between being the CEO of that company and being the CEO of your company now? What would you say? Is it that you have the time to sit back and, and observe? Uh,
2: I think the, the main contrast is that we're always able to do the right thing. And I just remember so clearly, you know, there was like, there was one experience that just killed me. Um, Again, it was about a quarter, uh, about, you know, a calendar quarter. And we were looking at this game and we were talking to the publisher and we said, Hey, if you just wait two quarters to ship this game, like literally you don't need to do anything with it. I'm not going to change it. Just wait two quarters because next quarter is a really terrible time to ship this game. Yeah. You know it's gonna do worse. Just yeah. wait two quarters and then ship it, and everyone makes more money. And they wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah, I've been in the same situation.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just maddening. It's just yeah. maddening. And uh, uh, you know or or you know, I'm not allowed to tell my customers what really happened because you, you know, I'd have to put the publisher on the bus to do so. Yes, right? Like that's um, almost certainly happened to you. I don't know. It <laughs> <That laughs> so often.
0: And it's just, it's part of the business is that, you know, not everybody is on the same page about what the goals for a particular product are or a particular platform. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then some, sometimes conversations happen outside of the one that you're privy to that you can't influence and yep. they have lasting impacts on your publishing Pipeline, the marketing reputation. budget, the reputation, when the game comes out, whether or not it gets any support, whether whether or not it goes on sale—all those things yeah. end up getting getting influenced by people that are that are outside of your immediate conversational loops, let alone control. Mm-hmm. So I think that's and, that is a very common thing. Yeah,
2: and frankly, all of this has compound interest. Um, you know, it just kind of. Um, uh, uh, there's a dynamo effect of, you know, you're doing things that are good for your future and then you can do more things that are good for your future and you can do even more things that are good for your future. And so, uh, it, it just worked out, it just works out so much better when we just don't have to worry about, uh, you know, what's going to happen in two months. Uh, so well, that's and, definitely. Yeah, the biggest. I was going to say
0: that this is actually something someone said to me recently. They, I was complaining about a problem that I was having and they said, you know, the thing that's true when you're at the scale that you're at, which is like 25 people, um, a mm-hmm. quarter of your size, is that there aren't necessarily people in all of the roles that you need that love being in those roles because mm. a lot of those roles have, you know, you're kind of doing them part time. You know, like sure, yeah. you know, somebody that doesn't really love to track numbers, for example, might be in charge of tracking numbers for something, and yeah, right. if it's not their if it's not their jam, it's not their jam. And there's the, there's something that comes with getting bigger, which is that you get you know, you, you you get this benefit where you can just, you can really double down on a role um, as a business, you know? And I thought that was mm-hmm. a really interesting point of view because like you, I actually enjoy doing several aspects of the job. And so I don't necessarily think of myself as needing to be in a specific role in order to be happy, but, or to perform. But I think that that's, as you grow, that is something that you get, you know? And then you also get, if you're lucky the opportunity to build teams that can do lots of different things and just spread the risk around, which is, it's just better, right? Having, having more teams with different publishers or different ideas and going out with different things means that you learn as a team as well. Mm-hmm. And you get to, you get to iterate. Um, and you can absorb mistakes more quickly, I think over time. Do you have a, um, a post process or a way that you share data with your team's um, as the CEO now, like, do you have a, um, kind of a plan, a planning strategy that you, that you all participate in? What's that like? No,
2: no, we have basically no process for almost <laughs> anything. <laughs> this is really what it is. <laughs> uh, we have, we have like cultural, um, norms, I suppose, you know, uh, built over time. Um, but I think of a, a company more like, more like a, uh, an organism than a machine, you know, mm-hmm. um. And what I'm, what I hope is that, you know, as stresses come to the company, we, uh, we get better. Um, we don't just like we're not just resilient. We're actually getting better as those stresses come, and that's kind of the way that we we do things. And how how that ends up uh, working out is that I also just try to have a lot of uh, redundancies, um, and um, uh, almost um, on purpose inefficiencies, because. What that lets people do is uh, everybody gets to learn, and and nobody's you know uh, uh, the 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 numbers guy or the whatever you know. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and then and then it's true that it's not as efficient. It's really true that this, it's definitely more efficient if one person does it, but there's also less learning going on. So that's typically the way that we we try to learn is just kind of spread it all over the place, and then. See yeah, we're happens. we're
0: very similar. There isn't really a lot of this idea that you get to that you have to stay in a specific spot, and then mm-hmm. you know people can move around as much as they like and do things as they as they please. But I do find this idea of like finding a couple things like someone who's just really passionate about social media, for example, like I'm not that person, you know, mm-hmm. I wish I was, but I am not. Um, and, and so thinking about, about building, I don't wish I was, and- <laughs> yeah, I guess this is true. Maybe I, I don't know. wish I was, you know, very, very, very focused on it. Well, so I think that, you know, in closing, what, if you were to, if you were to uh, advise someone who's getting ready to, to take that leap that you did when you first, when you first stepped out on, onto the, the runway of of, uh, of of starting your own company. What what would you say is something that people should keep in mind now? You know, given what what you've seen over the last few years, like what's it what's a good what's a good place to start?
2: What's a good place to start? Um, well, I think, you know, going back to just looking at risk, I feel like helps people figure it out. Uh, you know, I've I've helped a few other people um, start and. You know, when we start talking about that, I just see uh, their shoulders relax when we talk about that, because uh, you know, knowledge knowledge is power, part of it, but also just like feeling if if I do this thing and it doesn't work out, oh, I can live with that. That that's okay. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, now I can now I can actually make the right calls. I can make make the right decisions and not have to worry that uh, you know it has to work. And that's, I think it has to work, is what leads people to uh, do things they regret, like sign bad deals or, you know, be harsher on people than they they, they wanted to be or, you know, all of that.
0: Or double, yeah, just double down on a strategy that isn't working, right? If yeah, it's not, yeah, it's exactly. not collaborative and, or something that you seek as a collaboration with reality, then what it is is that you're resisting reality. And that's never really a strong position because <laughs> it turns out yeah. reality is, is just going to be as it is. It's not going to, yeah. it's not going to um, change its shape for you.
2: When, when Jeff and I decided to change the company, uh, I mean, frankly it was riskier for us to change the company than to continue going the way that we were in the short term, you know, and, uh, when we were just looking at it, we were just like, "Well, it's not—it's not a company that we want to have in the future anyway. So we might as well—we might as well go for it."
0: Yeah, take the risk, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. Martin and I have had those conversations several times. It's like, okay, well, this has worked for this many years, and this seems like it'll work for the next few years, and then after that, maybe we should try to do this. And then you just kind of try to pivot and move as, as quickly as you can without disrupting the business that you have and Mm -hmm. and make it and make it work out yeah well i you know i honestly i mean i think for many independent developers you know the story of clay is a success story and i really appreciate you sharing that it didn't just it wasn't just all like making the perfect decision. A lot of it oh, was gosh. iterative and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and saving and making and making hard decisions about how to restart and reboot things. I think that that's really helpful for people to hear. Awesome. And I just appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. It's really great to, to catch up, Jamie.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the Game Makers Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.